Blog Talk Radio. Did you know that elders and others are losing their rights to liberty and property? Anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everyone. This is Marty Oakley, the PPJ Gazette Online, and this is the DS Radio Network. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for spending your Friday evening with us. We have a great show to get started with. We, of course, have Reverend Ralph here, who is here with me every week, and I just appreciate you so much, Reverend Ralph. We also have Marcia Southwick from NASCA. We just heard the NASCA commercial as the, as the show started up. That was such an exciting commercial that was made for NASCA from a television station here in Wisconsin. We also have, as one of our supporters, Marcel Reed on the Whistleblower Summit. We also are supported by Shenanigans in the Montgomery County Facebook page, and we are supported by a whole other country, the Australia Association to Stop Guardianship Abuse and Administrative Abuse. So we have a lot of people who are really supporting what we're doing, and we are so, so thankful and Wow, we have a lot to talk about. Marsha, Reverend Ralph, say hello. Hello. Hi. This is Reverend Ralph. Hi, how are you doing? How hey, is everyone? I'm doing we're doing great. Good. I feel I feel like Marsha, you are going to have an insight into some of the last conversations with Marty and everything that you yeah. guys talked about on this topic and it's just going to be it's I'm so excited because we will never forget Marty on this show never ever ever will marty be forgotten we always have her voice to start us off but you know what before we get to that reverend ralph always has a thought for the day and there is a lot going on in montgomery county there was a big spotlight pa held a webinar yesterday i was on and i was allowed to put comments and so many people were on i thought that angela who is the reporter angela columbus which we have talked about her article she was phenomenal. She was basically reading off the questions and engaging the panel. Another panel member was an attorney. I can't even remember his name. But anyway, we weren't that impressed with him. But we also, you know who we were impressed with? State Senator Art Haywood from Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. He wow. is on our side. Yeah. It was amazing. Reverend Ralph, we're going to do a little bit. We're going to touch on this. And then we also had... Montgomery County advocate, Tina Payone, her mom has been in guardianship since 2015 in Montgomery County. She was phenomenal. I feel like the whole conversation was amazing. The attorney kept telling everyone that you need to hire a lawyer and that you should go file complaints 
with, you know, APS and all. This is what he was saying. And really, Mm -hmm. the comments that were coming from everyone else, including the state senator, were not as supportive about just hiring lawyers and just filing those complaints. And the comments, it was commenting on this webinar I didn't even know who they were I saw so many names on there so this is far-reaching even more than in my little circle of people that I know this is a big big deal it was such an amazing webinar and and this this state senator it's like I now have faith in our government because his next-door neighbor was guardianized and they put Gloria Byers as his guardian. Now, Gloria Byers is a convicted felon out of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and she was convicted for her crimes against humanity that she inflicted on her wards. And this senator's next-door neighbor was one of those wards. So he knows firsthand what's going on in Montgomery County courts. And he was amazing. And one of the last things that he said, how he closed out the webinar, is he said, this might be a bigger problem than just guardianship and elder abuse. He said there could actually be corruption in the courthouse. Let's not forget kids for cash and what has happened and was convicted in the state of Pennsylvania. So we're going to real quick announce the politician of the week that we're going to write. Did everyone call or write our Hoosier Senator Mike Braun? I did. I I found I'm sending an email more than calling the hotline. But everybody, we have got to send emails and messages to Senator Art Haywood. He's a state senator, so he's not a federal senator, so he's state. So he's going to be at a different website than the congressional switchboard. But if everyone could just send him, he is the person that I have chosen. We go Democrat, Republican, Democrat, Republican, so that we're fair and balanced. And he is a Democrat, and he is out of Montgomery County, and He represented us so well, and we really need to encourage him to keep fighting this issue because the evil people are going to attack him and try and discourage him. Reverend Ralph, with that, let's hear your word of the day, thought of the day for us. What's going on in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania? Good evening, listeners nationwide and worldwide. Uh, To start off, I'd like to have everybody grab a pen and paper. Uh, I would like to have that as a regular feature every time you listen to the show because we often give out information, uh, phone numbers that are very important. And I don't know about you, but with me, if I don't write it down, I forget it, and then I kick myself later for not remembering it. So please grab the paper and pencil. Uh, Now, one of the interesting things um, I would like people to remember, especially in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, uh, about the corruption in the uh, the, uh, orphans court in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, uh, last November, I filed a or tried to file a complaint with the uh, district attorney's office, uh, Kevin Steele, and uh, I was talking to one of his detectives. His name was Shade, and uh, we spoke for about two hours. I gave him some documents, and I gave him. I told him that many people were going to be calling him who were victims in Montgomery County Orphans Court of guardianship of their loved ones, and. I thought everything was going fine. About a month later, I was getting phone calls from people who said that uh, he wasn't returning any of their phone calls. So I contacted the DA's office, and I found out that Detective Shade had retired shortly after I talked with him, and he simply closed the case. So 
people, you know, were not able to talk to him and tell him about what they went through. So about a week ago, I contacted the DA's office again, and this time I talked to a Detective Kelly, Joseph Kelly, and this week on Tuesday, I had a very brief five-minute meeting with him, and he was, you know, very, very indifferent to the situation of guardianship corruption. And within five minutes, he showed me the door, and he said, you know, he'll let me know when uh, his investigation is over. Well, I've gotten a couple of phone calls from people because I did contact them again and said that uh, the DA's office was supposedly reopening the uh, case of corrupt judges and so forth in Montgomery County Orphans Court. And uh, I got a couple of phone calls this week saying that he wasn't returning their phone calls. So if you have been a victim of the Orphans Court in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, contact the district attorney's office again and tell them you want to talk to uh, Detective Joseph Kelly. Uh, I believe I gave out his email address last Friday. But again, do what you can because if people don't call, then the case is going to go nowhere. So that's very important. Uh, I would like people to get justice out of this. Um, the w Another point I wanted to bring up was we're going to try to emphasize more of the show to get solutions. We want to have solutions to pass on to our listeners. No matter how small that solution might have been that you found worked for a problem that you had pertaining to guardianship corruption of your loved one, no matter how small that solution might have been, pass it on to us. Uh, I have my website, protectmyparents.us. There is a contact section there that you can send me an email. Uh, people have done it. They include their phone numbers. I'm more than happy to call them back and talk to them about it, about their situation. And it's important that, again, any little solution that you have found when you had a problem that worked for you, we can use it uh, and we will pass it on, and maybe that will help other people. As I've also said, uh, you need to have a state association where you can start posting uh, documents, posting cases that have gone, uh, that are going on in your state, uh, and case laws and so forth, which are important, to, again, to help others. Now, on my website, uh, under articles and links, I have a title, PA for Pennsylvania, so people in Pennsylvania know that section, that document or whatever pertains specifically to Pennsylvania. But, Again, it gives people an idea of what to look for in their state that also pertains to uh, situations, problems, case laws, and so forth that could help them out. Now, there's a gentleman I've been talking to. His name is Dean, D-E-A-N, and he is in Cook County, Illinois. A uh, very nice gentleman. And he would like me to pass on his name and phone number uh, to especially people in Cook County, because he has a situation that many people, including myself, uh, are going through with their loved one. Uh, he, Dean is 80 years old, and he's been living in his car for the last three years, and he has not seen his wife for three years. She is in a nursing home, and it was his children that uh, filed the guardianship over his wife, their mother, 
just because for the money, which is usually the only reason why these petitions are filed. So uh, he would like to hear from people who have also, especially in Cook County, Illinois, but again, any place in Illinois or maybe nationwide, that are going through this situation where they have been denied to see their husband or their wife or their mother or father. And this is something that's just past the point of having any legitimate reason. It's just barbaric and inhumane treatment. And this is not guardianship. And it's interesting to see that people uh, under the Geneva Convention, uh, they have rules of how to treat people that are prisoners of war in the military and also people that are in prison for any crime you can imagine. They have rights to be able to communicate with their loved ones, either by telephone, Zoom calls now, and also letters. So why is it that the people under guardianship are being denied the right to stay in contact with humanity, uh, which is the one most important thing that keeps them alive, being able to talk to their children or their spouse or their grandchildren on a regular basis. And this is a problem I'm having now, and it's basically uh, fighting every step that you can take to try to get something out of them. Uh, out of these guardians who then, uh, as we know, they hire their own lawyers and then you have to deal with the lawyers and then their lawyer fees rack up. And again, they drain the victim's money. So the gentleman's name is Dean. He's in Cook County, Illinois. And his phone number is 847-868-6536. And the gentleman, as I said, Dean, uh, he's been living in his car for three years. He is pro se. And that brings up a very, very important point that a lot of people are starting to realize. They did what they thought they had to do, which was hire a lawyer. You have a legal problem, you hire a lawyer. But it turns out it's like dangling a worm in front of a fish. Of course that fish is going to bite the worm. I have yet to find any lawyer that says, oh, uh, I'll turn down $5,000, and you can give it to another lawyer. They're going to grab your case. <laughs> I don't care if their so-called specialty is uh, traffic accidents or traffic tickets or drunk driving. If somebody says, I have a case, and they're thinking $5,000, $10,000 retainer, they're going to take it, and they're going to waste your money. And what they do often is when they – feel that they're just plain tired of your case and a bigger case is coming along, they'll drop your case. And what they'll do is they'll keep all the money, but what they're going to do is now you'll have to find out, you'll have to find another lawyer, and then that lawyer's going to want thousands of dollars to bring him up to where the case is currently. So you're getting screwed twice. And this is why after people have lost tens and hundreds, literally hundreds of thousands of dollars, they have taken out second mortgages on their house, they have sold their cars, they have done everything to pay their legal bills, now they're broke and they have nothing left. And what you're left with is pro bono, meaning you are representing yourself. Well, as you know, if you've ever been in court or whatever, or if you've ever gotten documents from the court, on the last page, they have a whole page of literally, literally 25 to 
30 different interpreters that are available if you speak Mandarin, if you speak Korean, whatever. If you don't understand English, the county will assign an interpreter for you, free. But, as I have said before, you try to deal with the lawyer business, they have their own language called legalese. And if you try to be pro se, that judge will tell you, you have the legal right to be pro se, you cannot be forced to hire a lawyer. But you are expected to know as much as a lawyer does, which when you hear that, you probably have to pick yourself up off the floor because here you have lawyers that specialized in college four years, and then they went to law school for three years. They're thoroughly trained. They know how to read that language, legalese, but you don't. You don't know where to start to look for case laws or whatever. So this is why it's very important that you start to, uh, no matter where you are in your case, every time a document is filed by a lawyer, if you still have a lawyer, get a copy of that document and make notes on it because you never know when that lawyer is going to drop you and you never know when suddenly you're going to have to pick up that case and act like you've been educated from the day one. So when you, uh, if this is that situation, go to Google, Google pro bono, and you will find many, many articles and so forth on how to help you go through this, you know, technical maze of uh, legalese and the laws and so forth. Now, what's interesting, and Dean has told me about this, go to your law library. They have librarians there that are more than helpful to help you look for something, understand something. Now, they cannot give you legal advice, but they can help you with where to look for case laws and definitions of legal terms and so forth, and that's free. And he often spends, he told me, many, many hours every day at the law library. Now, you might also go to a nearby law school and contact the professors that deal with whatever topic, well, it would be guardianship, civil law, and sometimes they have, these law schools have programs where a law professor will have some students who will do some of this legal work and he oversees it. So you're getting the benefit of a law professor with free students who are earning extra credit while they're taking these legal courses. So that's another area to go to to help you, again, if you're pro bono. So it's very important that you keep yourself informed of what's going on in your case. Now, I admit, I made those mistakes. I simply paid money to a lawyer, and we had regular meetings every couple of weeks, and he said, I did this, I filed this document or filed that document. I went, yeah, okay, that's nice. And then suddenly he had to quit for health reasons. So now I've got 14, 15 months of documents and transcripts and everything else that I have to review to learn how to proceed. So I have to learn how to file motions, file petitions, and that whole bit. Now, it, it, I, I just can't express it. It's like going through medical school without knowledge of it. Uh, it's very, very difficult. But you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. You have a loved one 
that's basically been hog-tied uh, and now thrown into a cesspool of hungry lawyers who see that person as just a bank account. And it's interesting, when you go to see a lawyer uh, for the first time, uh, they will talk to you like it's general conversation. And here's a couple of the tricks I learned. They're going to ask you, where do you live? Okay, that sounds innocent. Well, they want to know what area you live in to get the approximate value of your house. They'll say, oh, do you, I have a friend there. Does he, uh, or do you own your house or do you rent it? Again, he's trying to find out how much you're worth. He'll ask you what kind of job you have. Again, he's going to find out how much you're getting paid to find out how much you're worth. These are the tricks lawyers do to see how much money they're going to get out of you. Are you going to be in it for a couple of months, six months, or a year? So you have to be as smart as these lawyers if you're going to try to survive the best as possible. Uh, one of the problems I have found is lawyers don't want to solve problems. They want to create them because that's billing hours. And that's the situation with me, the fact that they totally ignore problems or create problems with my loved person knowing I'm going to object just so they can rack up the billing hours. It's all about yes. the money, and this is what the games they try to pull. This is why so many people are so disgusted with these lawyers who are doing this. They are not keeping it, they're not keeping their loved one at the status quo, the way it was. They come in and mess up everything, and then they charge billing hours to supposedly decipher it. Well, how is that guardianship? How is that keeping the person in a situation where they're healthy, happy, and continued with their life just because they have a little memory problem? When they deny the love of the family, when they deny these people the right to circulate into society and to live like they were living, then they are not guardians, they're owners. And that's why I call guardianship white slavery because that's basically what it is, just white slavery. So uh, I want to conclude by saying no matter where you are, if you're involved with this guardianship corruption, contact the district attorney's office. Contact the FBI in your area. Contact the local police department and tell them what's going on. Because you're talking about various crimes, you're talking about elder abuse or elder neglect by the guardians. You're talking about financial exploitation of the elderly by these guardians. And, again, one of their tricks is they want people with a house that they can sell cheap to a friend and then resell it at higher value and keep the profit for themselves. The family would never know that that was done. So you've got to contact the authorities. You've got to be a pain in their rear end, and you have to keep doing it. Because like they say, the greasy wheel gets or the squeaky wheel gets the grease and that's what you gotta be, a pain in their rear end because they don't care. It's you that has to do the work. So Kaz, I'll send it back to you on that note. Oh my gosh, that was excellent. And also, yes, you're building a paper trail. I just watched the Bernie Madoff documentary on Netflix. And there was a guy that for eight years was writing the SEC saying, this guy is a Ponzi scheme. This guy is a Ponzi scheme. And they ignored, ignored, ignored. 
And it was a lot of mud on everyone's face when it turned out that Bernie Madoff was running a Ponzi scheme. So that's going to be the same mud that's going to be on uh, Montgomery County's face pretty darn soon when this blows up. But while we're talking about people hooking up, we definitely are looking for more people in the Chicago area that we can start grouping together. We have also been asked to look for people in Michigan. If you go to the Justice for Betty Hayes Facebook page and hook up with the Michigan victims there, we, of course, have our other country, Australia. They're always looking for victims in Australia, but there's a new country that has uh, made contact, and it's Scotland. So anyone international listening, it looks like there's some stuff brewing in Scotland. I've been contacted by someone in Scotland. Uh, Stay tuned. Have you heard anything about Scotland, Marsha? Has NASCA been contacted? Uh, not, or? not not recently, no. I know that Scotland's had issues and so forth, but I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with that. Yeah, I don't so know if they're going to start, if, yeah, if they're going to start like a NASCA and ASCA, I don't know, what are they going to call it in Scotland? SASCA? SASCA? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Stay tuned. We're just going to have everyone. Now, in Scotland, it's so hard to understand. They speak in English. That's It's really, really hard. Like in Australia, I can understand what they're saying, but the Scotland dialect of English is so hard to understand that it's better to just, like, if you're doing emails, like, you'll understand what's being said. But I thought that was an eye-opening thing for me to learn about, like, trying to talk to someone from Scotland. But isn't it cool, all the international people that we meet? But anyway, I know. I know. Marty would be proud. Speaking of Marty, Marcia, tell us about what you and Marty were planning this show. And unfortunately, for anyone who doesn't know, our our beautiful Marty passed away April 1st, and we are carrying the torch and legacy of her name. So this is probably the last the last show that Marty really had a lot of influence on. So, Marcia, take it away yeah. and tell us what were you she, and Marty researching to, and talking she, about? Yeah, so uh, Marty was super fascinated by, uh, you know, why is it, we were both fascinated by this, Why? how is it that people can, um, you know, when you hear these stories and you hear see these news reports of guardians who, who act out and do these unbelievable crimes. And, uh, you know, we you, the usual thing that we think is how do they sleep at night? Well, it yeah. turns out they sleep at night because there's a process of, uh, of disengagement from your moral standards. So you're confronted with the situation that you're not comfortable with. And what, what's happening is you're being tempted by something and you, autom- you're, you, you know that if you do this thing that you're going to be beating yourself up late, later because you have these morals, right? So what happens is the mind starts rationalizing like crazy. The, more, the mind starts um, using reasoning to argue that well, for example, one thing might be that, you know, you're, you're taking care of all these people, these elderly. Let's take Rebecca Furley, for example. Um, okay. How many, how many uh, 
or maybe the person in um, Gloria Byers, maybe her. Um, oh so yeah, Montgomery County. What was her? How many? How many um, awards did she have, or people under guardianship? Do you Ooh. know? Do you know that answer? The point is, some of some of these people, for yeah. example, Rebecca. Rebecca in Florida, she had something like 400. I mean, she had so many cases. Um, and I don't know how many were at the same time, but she had a lot of cases. And so you can imagine her saying, well, look, I've got all these people. I just have to do my best. I'm doing okay. Uh, you know, meanwhile, she's starting to neglect them, and she's making excuses. And, you know, it just go, it goes on like that. It's a moral justification. So... You convince yourself that your behavior is justified and you're focusing on positive outcomes or emphasizing the importance of achieving a particular goal. Like, i got to get this person. Think of April Parks in uh, Nevada when she burst into Julie Belshi's parents' house and said, you've got three choices. You can, number one, go to a, I've forgotten what it was, psychiatric unit, dementia unit, or come with me to assisted living. I think it was that, but unfortunately, I'm not 100% positive. But she had it, her goal was to get the parents in, the, you know, there's a step you have to take. We've got to get the parents mm-hmm. to the assisted living, and we've got to do it against their will. And how can I do that the most efficient way possible? Well, she was so good at it, right? She gave them choices, three choices, bam, bam, bam. And you're sitting there, and her parents were sitting there going, what is going on? You know, they had no clue. So it's the element of surprise. It's, uh, in other words, she argued to herself that she had to get them to this place, and she did it in the most cruel way imaginable. Just sweeping them out of the house, putting, stepping them in this place. So that's an example of, a moral argument that you could make to yourself to make it better what you're doing. You know, I am saving these people. They're obviously not able to take care of themselves. Um, And then what happens is once you do that, there's a whole series of steps. So that's one, number one. Then the next one is um, the second part of the process is you, you use euphemistic labeling. So you say, well... This is protection, not abuse. It's protection. If I cut this person off from their loved ones, I am protecting them. I'm, I'm a good person. I'm, you know, and it sounds a lot more acceptable to say you're protecting somebody than it is to, you know, it's kind of sanitizing it. You sanitize mm-hmm. what you're doing. Um, so that's step two. Step three is, well, at least it's comparing yourself to somebody else who's worse than you are. Let's say... Rebecca started stealing. You know, she starts stealing. Uh, and she says, well, at least I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> you know, in other words, <laughs> you, yeah. you compare yourself to someone who's more evil than you are and to argue that you're not that bad. That's another thing. Um, so, so, and then the next one is uh, you, it's either just, displacement of responsibility or diffusion of responsibility so that you're not responsible. You can, you can either blame it on somebody outside of you, right? One person maybe, like an authority figure. or And this is, 
Mar- this is where Marty and I dove in, uh, the displacement of responsibility. But I wish you were here to talk because now there are all these there's not just that one that we thought. There are all there's six or seven steps to this. And she was fascinated by Stanley Milgram from Yale. And Stanley Milgram, mm. probably most people know this, but Stanley Milgram did this experiment back in the 60s, 60s to see if people would abdicate their own responsibility and commit bad things if an authority said it was okay or the authority um, demanded that they do it. So they did this experiment where they had um, they had a fake student behind a screen, and then they and a guy in a lab coat, and then they get a subject in for the, you know the person they're using for experiment, and it comes in. They sit down, and on the other side of the screen is this student, supposedly hooked up to like electric current, right? And the person who's off the street sits down, and they're supposed to be the teacher. And if they ask a question and the student doesn't answer correctly, they're supposed to get a shock. You know, they have the voltage. <laughs> and so they sit down and they, they say, well, I don't, I don't want to give somebody an electric shock. You know, after a couple of times of doing this, they mm-hmm. say, I don't want to do this. I'm just the guy in the white coat says, no, no, I'm responsible. This is You need to do this. Just do it. I take total responsibility, um, and they had a special, they had a list of, of of sentences they used every time, you know, to convince the person to go ahead. And it put out something like 90% or a lot of them um, were willing to really go to, they, they went way too far on this, so that if there had been, you know, and the person behind the screen is going, no, ow, ow, when they when they do the shock, you know, even though ah. they're not really hooked up, they're pretending like they're getting shocked. And it's really awful. This person's sitting there and the student gets the wrong answer and they're upping the the uh, circuitry on them. So it's more and more of a shock each time. <laughs> and, you know, at one point, one of them, the, the person on the other is a student, quote unquote, just stopped talking, stopped. It was like they were dead. And can you imagine that? So here are people who think they have really hurt somebody on the other side of the screen, and it's only because this authority said, it's okay to do this, and I need you to do this. So then wow. we knew, we learned from that, that people are really capable. He was trying to figure out why, you know, the Nazis did what they, how they could do it, you know. Because uh, yeah. it was just so, how could normal people end up like that, right? End up pulling yeah. gas switches and stuff. So, you know, that was one aspect. But now, yeah. but this this was, um, his name is Albert Bandura. And he's the one I'm just uh, talking about who did the moral disengagement thing. And, you know, he just found out there's so much more to it. And... It could be one person, or it could be the way, for example, a diffusion of authority, uh, or, res- sorry, d- diffusion of responsibility might be something like, well, you know, in New Mexico, it used to be that the lawyer chose everybody on the case, right? And they all knew each other. So when you're in an environment where you know everybody on the case, and they're all 
not on the up and up. It's developed over the years that it's kind of gotten uh, the procedures aren't really good. They don't really, uh, they just slap people with guardianships all over the place and they don't really examine it. They lie, the court visitors just make stuff up and you know how it goes, right? You've seen it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so when you're in, it's partly the environment you're in that can, that can, that can help you morally disengage, right? So it's just yeah. all these, there are all these weird steps. And then the last one, uh, well, two of them, then this one's the most important one. And this one's the one that's going to change as reforms happen. And they are starting to happen, you know, lots of uh, supported decision-making, lots of change mm-hmm. in the laws and the approach. And that is dehumanization was a big part of why guardianships, when they went wrong, I think, when they go wrong, they go wrong because somehow the person who's in charge starts dehumanizing the person on who they're controlling, right? That they're they're controlling the yeah. life of an elder, and you know they might have bias against. They might just be, you know, old people aren't fun. They're not fun to deal with. They're, uh, you know, they have a lot of problems. They need a lot of care. They're they're a pain, you know, to some people. Right, and they look down on them. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's a matter of dehumanizing the person so that they don't matter anymore, and you just distance yourself from the humanity of that person. You never really put them in, put yourself in their shoes. You know, that's part of what happens. And then the other thing that happens is blame. They, instead of looking at yourself. You blame other people. For example, the families. I think the families get a lot of this, um, where you know the the guardian uh, is spending a ton of money on this guardianship. Not always just because they're spending it, but it costs a lot. I mean, it just does. And uh, so they blame the family for it. They say, "Well, you're the problem. If you didn't litigate and try to get your mother out of this guardianship, we wouldn't spend so much money." You're, you're responsible for all the litigation. Well, that's crazy. The process, it, there was no due process in the first place. So you need due process, yeah. you know, so you're going to go to court to try to get justice, and they know that. So, you know, in the worst-case scenario, that's what happens. That's how somebody like Rebecca Furl may not have always been that way, but she got in over her head in terms of, of straying away from her what she knew was morally right and wrong, and you gradually move away from it. Not like all of a sudden you're just doing this. It takes a while. It's a process. It's not just a fact that you're going to do that. But, you know, you think about it. Think about um, a weapons company. You're making weapons that kill people. But since you're not killing the people, you're not responsible. That's how it goes, right? It's that's how people rationalize what they do. So, so, and that's occurring all over the place. It occurs, uh, you know, especially with, I'm thinking lately a lot about the corruption in the pharmaceutical industries where, you know, half of the FDA's money comes from the pharma companies it's supposed to be regulating. And so, you know, there's a built-in problem there. And that is just looked at as if 
Oh, no, that, that doesn't mean anything. So what, were they still scientists, you know, and they're all good. And I'm sure that's true, but the problem is that they're getting paid by the pharma companies to do the research, you know, through the NIH and through the WHO and, you know, all this stuff. So it goes on on all these different scales, this moral disengagement. And as Ralph pointed out, Reverend Ralph, that the kids for cash is a perfectly good example. You know, it's where suddenly you're doing basically the opposite of what you're supposed to be doing. It just seems like that is rampant now. It's, it happens in the foster care system where the kids are more kids per capita in the system die than the general outside population. Sure, you can say, oh. well, there are abused kids and blah, 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 but the fact is the system isn't working, and it's certainly not working in New Mexico. New Mexico is just horrifying. And so the, and the reason is, the reason is that whenever you have an agency mixing with a private, with private companies, which, you know, a lot of these things that, you know, when you have a private company as a guardian um, right. and they're merging with, with social services and all this stuff, what, what happens is both the agency and the companies who are making money by joining together have an interest in preserving themselves rather than the people they're serving. So the, that's why yeah. these governmental systems get so top-heavy with so many people running, you know, running the show because they have an interest. The, the agencies grow. Uh, you know, they want to preserve themselves and they want to get bigger and all this stuff. And so it really strays away from the original purpose and they're kind of caught in it. Um, you're pressured by your superiors to bring in more kids to help. You know, you've got to check to see, you know, who's abusing who. And, you know, they're, they're under pressure to get more kids because the, the whole system needs the kids to, to keep functioning. I mean, it's kind of reverse. It's an inverse of what it should be. And I think that happens in guardianship too. And I'm not sure, I think uh, it's not so much the public-private uh, corporation problem, the, you know, stakeholder capitalism or, or whatever. I think with guardianship, it's just, there, it's just a, the process. It's a process. Guardianship is actually a procedure, I guess. You know, it's a court mm-hmm. procedure. You go in, this happens, that happens, boom, you're done. Well, I think it's because there really was no process. You know, there was nobody coming in. This is step one. This is step two. This is step three. This is step four. Nothing slowed down the process. So most most of these cases would take place in a very short time, like 15 minutes. They'd take away someone's all their rights in about 15 minutes. And so the problem was there was no... Structure. There really was wasn't enough structure around it, and I think that's changing. And so that now, in, in Pennsylvania, for example, I guess they're now going to have you have to consider other alternatives before you uh, consider guardianship. But I don't think their language is strong enough. They don't have just, but it's not absolutely uh, required. You know, they don't have to do it. I don't think. I was looking mm-hmm. at Pennsylvania's laws the other day, and it just seems to me they're not. They're not, you know, they're not uh, up to snuff 
So I, I uh, yeah. what did they what they have to say about changing the laws in Pennsylvania? Are they going to have attorneys for people? People get to have their own attorney. We haven't heard oh, yeah. anything. Have you, Reverend Ralph? Uh, no, there is a lot of talk. Again, talk is cheap and so forth. But if, if I can make a couple of comments, uh, basically it can boil down to, and again, uh, as I've said before, I did lie detection testing for 41 years, and I got a good insight of what people are when they commit crimes. And it's basically they live in a world where uh, – they basically don't care. Their rules are how they feel life is, and whether they're rich or poor, whatever, they justify on what they do because they just think they should do it. Uh, if they rob a bank, they feel it's okay because the government's going to print money to replace it. If they steal something from your house in a burglary, uh, they know the homeowner is going to make out better because he'll tell the insurance company that it was a brand-new TV instead of a five-year-old TV. So the bottom underlying uh, problem is greed, and that's all it's about. Oh, yeah. It's money. And when you yeah. have these people with 10 people, 20, 50, 100, 200, they're basically greed because if they don't get these people, somebody else will – and they see it as free money, as free, easy money. And well, when you have, the, yeah, go ahead. Oh, that's one. One. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I got excited. Um, one of the things that happens is that it, one of those arguments is if I don't do this, somebody else will do it, right? So, like, if you steal mm-hmm. from, you know, it's interesting. I was looking at April Parks' files. You know, the late, she was from Nevada. In case anybody doesn't know, she's. She she was she's in jail now because she just was abused all these wards and uh, and also stole. But the interesting thing was, she only stole six thousand from each client or so. It wasn't like she just robbed people, you know, hugely. She did it very systematically and very uh, quietly for many years. She would just take some here and take some there, but not enough. To be really noticed, I think toward the end she probably went wild. But um, so yeah, greed, greed, and uh, you know, and the idea that uh, no one's watching, uh, the fact that there's mm-hmm. nobody st- that's holding you accountable. Well, the truth is, Reverend Ralph, um, you and I, at least, and I'm sure Cause too, we're accountable to someone. And that's God. We're accountable to God. So, you know, yeah. one thing I always think to myself, um, in order to be the person I want to be, is if somebody saw me doing the, what I'm doing right now, how would I feel about it? That's a good sign. That is a Christian way of looking at yourself from an omniscient point of view where you are looking at the picture from afar, not from your own perspective. You're suddenly outside of yourself and you're looking at it from and it's so clear that what you're doing is wrong or right. It's so clear that, you know, I think without that kind of foundation, everybody it's human beings, it turns out, I didn't know this, um, morality and 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 establishing morals is part of human development. That's what ha- it is ha- it happens without religion 
you know, it can happen without religion. But mm-hmm. I don't know when you when you have a greater being in your life, um, it makes it difficult in a couple ways. One way, and I've tried to write about this, is you know, I imagine myself that eighty nine, you know, somebody comes in and says, you know, uh, I'm your boss now. I tell you what to do, and I would say to myself. No, I have a boss already, thank you very much, and it isn't you, it's God, it's not you, so get out of my face. I mean, it would be very offensive to most religions, I think, for some person to play God and to suddenly be, be replace, uh, it's as if they're replacing your your whole world, your spiritual world with this person you don't even know, and that's, that's just a huge issue. And, uh, yeah. and, it, and it's... The Guardian um, is... Yeah, I agree. The guardian, power. the guardian has like the god power, and they say what you yeah. can do, what you can't do. They'll say stuff like taking a picture is a privilege. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. Reverend Ralph. This is Ralph. Tell, tell, this is Ralph. Yeah, spill cause... the tea. Spill the tea. Yeah. This is a good one. It, yeah, it's uh, no, it's uh, this is what's so disgusting, and I. I see it as the perfect storm, this guardianship. When you have a corrupt judge that's allowing it to go on, who's handpicking the same corrupt lawyers and the same corrupt guardians who they know will kick back money to everybody else. And this is why I've said it's a racket. A racket is a group of of people organized to commit a crime, and what they're doing is called racketeering, and that's prosecuted under RICO. And as far as religion... uh, Again, Marty brought up a good point months and months ago. She said, if these churches were so religious and they believed in uh, religion, why aren't they helping these people in their congregation uh, to fight this guardianship? I mean, if they can spend the money to send people overseas to spread the word of Christianity, why aren't they taking care of their own members who are involved with these uh, corrupt guardianships? And, And she's right. She's, Marty was right. The fact that these churches are not stepping up to do what they should be doing under the uh, pretense that they are preaching religion and the Ten Commandments and so forth. So I agree with Marty uh, what she said 100%. And one of the things that I have found uh, is the fact that these criminals, and we call them criminals, I call them sadists also, because they enjoy what they're doing. They take a mm-hmm. little pleasure yeah. of hurting the family. It's like, see, I can do it to your mommy or your daddy, and you can't stop me. You know, I, I saw this with criminals all the time, no matter what crime they committed. It was like they were saying, I got away with it, and look at me. I'm a great person. And as I've said, uh, Judge Weilheimer in this love, in my love person's case, uh, she put me in prison twice for a week each time because I was exposing that scam of a Montgomery County Court. And this is something where it's like they're using it to teach people a lesson. You get out of line, they have the power, they're going to do what they want. And what I've seen also uh, in specifically is the uh, lawyer David Jeskowiak from Jenkintown who – I saw a video of him in a seminar, and lawyers in Pennsylvania, they have to have so many education hours to keep their law license every year. Jaskowiak did a seminar about four or five years ago with another lawyer and a psychologist 
who do guardianships. And both of both the psychologist and the other lawyer said they believed in the least restrictive methods to help the person uh, maintain his normal way of living. Jess Koviak was bragging that he uses contempt of court charges to get his way. In other words, he will threaten the other lawyer saying, I'm going to charge your client with contempt of court unless you do what I say or unless you agree to what I want. In addition to that, he charges the other side the money it costs to do, to file that contempt of court. So he's not only using the court as a weapon, he's using it as an ATM machine for his own private bank account. And this is something where, again, it's all about the greed, it's all about getting away with it, and they don't care. It's about the money they have to have. And, again, this is something where uh, the money is if, – if, 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 certainly, if, suddenly, sorry, if suddenly a law was created that said they will not make – if the guardians will not make more than $10 an hour and minimum wage is like $7.5 an hour, if they suddenly have that law, I don't think these guardians would ever get into that business. They'd say, oh, it's not worth it. I can make more at Walmart. So it's all about the money that they have total control of, and they can literally take it, including a house. Well, let's face it, that's a big, big prize, and it's money for them. Yeah. And the fact that they have all these people, and uh, as was just mentioned, that they only take a little bit from each one, that's all they have to do. I mean, if you have 50, as I call them, you know, uh, victims, if you have 50, 50 victims and each one has a half million, a million dollars in their bank accounts, how much can, can you spend? I mean, you take a couple here, a couple there, and it's really not missed. It's not like you're just suddenly taking $100,000 away from somebody. So, again, it's like if somebody had 50 bank accounts. Uh, again, it's all about the money and the fact there's no danger of them getting caught, let alone going to prison for what they do. Well, that's what that's exactly how uh, Judith Widener of Nebraska, you know, they didn't even have a guardianship program there. They had no public guardianship thing at all. They just had volunteers. So she volunteered. She had she had uh, wards. I shouldn't call them wards, but to be honest with you, let's not make it any prettier than it was in her case. Um, she had wards all over the state. Okay. And she had 40 different bank accounts. She had, a, a, you know, yeah, she had 40 bank accounts, and she was just shifting money around from one to another and stealing. And it was just, you know, for somebody to get that far in a system without ever being caught is pretty amazing. Yeah. I mean, that is just, and there are many, many cases like that. But there are I know that the, Marty never agreed with me that there were good guardians. She would say, "I want to meet one." I went, "There really yeah. are." I've read, I've read reports to our Supreme Court, for example, um, where somebody, where people write in, and one, you know, one person said, "You know, if it hadn't been for the guardian, I don't know what I would have done with my mom, who was, you know, running around in the street naked, you know, stuff like that." And she said they, she was just compassionate and helpful. I do believe there are some people who are really good people in this. It's just that the culture 
it's it's like a petri dish. You can go in there. Maybe if you're a good person, you won't do some of these things. But if you're at all susceptible to um, stretching the truth or not being true north, but you just are wishy-washy or whatever, you could you could fall into that. I can see people falling into it, and then they get this mindset. And I came across it. I couldn't believe it. I came across it in a, I attended the National Guardianship Association seminar and it was about supported decision making and trusts and all this. It was, you know, it was their professional webinar and I joined in and listened, right? And I caught this one New Mexico lawyer actually, who I don't like a whole lot, but I caught him saying something that was so, uh, it was I've heard it many times before. He mentioned well, you know, I did he mentioned he said, Well, we all know families can be the culprits. I mean, I just had a case where uh I have a, a woman in guardianship and her sister said we were spending too much money and she wanted the money. And I thought to myself, Give me a break. She looked at the charges, they were two hundred and fifty an hour to go shopping. Who's not gonna complain? I mean, give me a break. It's you guys. You know what I mean? It was just so. So they have, you know, in the, it's the culture. And I think um, I think that's changing. I really do, Reverend Ralph. I, I not as, I know that since you're going through it, you really can't see, oh, you know, it's not going to get better. You know, it doesn't seem like it. But I really do believe that at least with the um, UCOPA, the, the new law, the 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 law produced by the by the uh, Uniform Law Commission. Um, that's about humanization. In other words, you're taking people who have uh, you you've dehumanized. I mean, the problem was these people were dehumanized, right, by the system. They were tr- they were called incapacitated. They were, you know, they were lesser beings. Well, now the effort is to start from the person and see with that person, who is that person? What's their life like? Who surrounds them? Who should surround them? What do they like to do? How, in other words, there it's a change in direction that I think is super positive. Uh, and I don't think, I think with all the exposure of all the obscenities that go on, the really bad stuff, that uh, people are shocked. I mean, even the guardianship yeah. industry has to face it. I mean, they really... Uh, I attended the 4th National um, Guardianship Summit, you know, where they uh, determined the direct... We composed a document um, that had suggestions for the future. And a lot of it was about that, about, you know, the, you've got to humanize people. They have to be people. They're not non-people suddenly just because they're in guardianship, you know? And uh, so the direction is it is it is good. The question is, um, as Ralph pointed out, you know there are all these judges and so forth in all these tiny corners of the state uh, who aren't trained. They don't really know what they're doing. They have, um, and it's not all the fault of the judges. There are decent judges. I think a lot of it is that they're under, and there's no excuse for this. 
but they have so much to do. I mean, they've got stacks of these cases on their desk, and they just rubber stamp them. You know, they can't... The court, the whole system isn't functioning. And as a result of that, I think, the people are dis, are, are really being uh, twisted around by that. They're allowed to go in directions. There's no real guardrails there for them, and there should be. There should be rules. There should be laws. There should be things that you can't do that you can. And, and you know, I remember <clears throat> I told this story before, but when we were in Utah trying to change, we were trying to change, you know, people were isolated, right? You know, we were trying to get them, get the courts um, to not allow that without a court order. You know, in other words, the guardian, if they wanted to just say you can't see your kids or your kids can't see you, they've got to have a reason for it and they've got to go to court um, to do it. And that way, if somebody keeps doing that, you kind of know they're up to no good, right? It's a, it's another way of just spotting red flags. But uh, this, so I was describing what happens in guardianships to people when they're mistreated and this guardianship uh, system advocate, she represented the guardianship association in her state. She got up and said, we don't have any of those problems. And I just <laughs> thought, how do you know? I said, how do you know? I mean, the records are kept secret. You know, you have, you sequester the case. You know, you, you, there's nobody to report. Nobody's taking, you know, a lot of the accounting isn't done. There's no system to track the guardianships. What are you talking? So you're telling me that things can't go wrong? And she said, well, I suppose they could. I said, you're damn right. If they're going, if you allow it, it will happen. It will happen. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. You know, there's that phrase, whatever is, what is it? Um Whatever is not, it's a physics thing. Whatever is not uh, forbidden is compulsory. You get it? In other words, if you mm, don't stop yeah. people from doing, if you don't have the guardrail, they're going to do it. It's it's almost like you you have to do it. It's because it's entropy. It's what you're going to fall into when you have chaos. It's not going to go well. And I think to blame individual people in all cases, I don't think that's right. I think it's the system, and I think there are good people in there. I know there are good people in there because I met a lot of them at these at this conference who are, who are, who are in the guardianship uh, field, and there are very good people who are just trying to make things better, but they're battling these the, the ridiculousness of the system, which has no accountability whatsoever built into it. This is uh, Reverend Ralph. Um, a couple of points I wanted to cover. Um, as far as the family uh, hiring these guardians, they are sold lies. I mean, that's the bottom oh, line. Oh, yeah. The guardians oh, yeah. are selling them a packet of lies that say, oh, I'm going to do this for your grandma, I'm going to do yep. that and all. And the families go, okay, the rates sound reasonable. And then they don't realize they just stepped in the quicksand and now that's they right. can't get out of it. And that's, mm-hmm. again, I don't think the families would certainly uh, allow a grandmother or grandfather or a mother or no, father who they, they love wouldn't. to be right. in, the, in the hands of these type of people. And as far as you had mentioned about, you know, there are some good guardians and so forth, the good guardians know what the bad guardians are doing, but they're protecting them. 
because they don't, you know, they don't that. think it's I their business. You what? Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Well, my feeling is they might not know what somebody else is doing, but they know that this problem exists, and they know that it's hurting the reputation of their entire field. Why aren't they out front more, out in front, uh, really pushing reform? The truth is they are, but it's not everybody. You know, it's not your local yokel uh, guardian who just came in off the street and decided to be a guardian after eight hours of training and, and just make money. You know what well, I mean? I, I sort of disagree with that because the fact is they can make noise. And there's that old expression, evil succeeds when good men do nothing. The fact yeah. that they can go to the yeah. district attorney's office, they can go to the FBI, they can go to the news media and get stories done. They can do these things because the bad guardians are breaking laws. There are laws that protect yeah. the elderly, financial abuse, uh, elder yeah. neglect, and so forth. And this is why that this problem continues. The, the so-called yeah. good guardians, they're not cared. They may know about it, but they're not doing anything wrong. It's like lawyers. They know the bad lawyers, but what are they doing to stop them? Are they complaining yeah. to the Bar Association of the county or of the state or the American Bar Association? Are they reporting these bad lawyers? And the answer is no, they're not, because they don't want to tick off the judges because their livelihood depends on getting favorable decisions. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the whole, you know, you, you Every, can talk about it, the corrupt system, but the whole point is everybody is concerned with their own job. And this is why, exactly. whether at exactly. the uh, Montgomery County yes. Court, they are not mm -hmm. going to go, or the uh, Detective Bureau of the DA's office in Montgomery County, and I'm only going to yeah. speak about them because I know that firsthand. The fact is, they're not going to do any. The detectives are not going to go against these judges because their jobs are on the line. So they're going to just go along and ignore it. You can't explain how a county detective retires, and I'm talking about Shade last November, knows about this, has all these people calling to complain about it, and then he retires and he closes the case, and then he tells the yeah. judge who was handling my loved person's case and still is, that I had gone to him to file a criminal complaint against the judge? I mean, that's just asinine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's why there has to be a real system, and, you know, there has to be a really good system of complaint where anybody, any family member, anybody who witnesses uh, a guardianship going wrong should be able to complain, should should be able to just informally tell the judge this is going wrong because I think a lot of judges just put blinders on. You know, I think a lot of them just, they they come to believe. Yeah. How they come to, to trust the guardian is, I, you know, a particular guardian who ends up being a criminal. I mean, I can't imagine what that. I bet for some, that must be a pretty uh, a wake-up call, you know. I, well, think, and, uh, I, think in some, I think in some communities that might be the case. But the fact mm -hmm. that uh, Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, is one of the corrupt, most corrupt counties in the United yeah. States of America, I, I would bet a lot of money that – Wellheimer and Murphy know exactly what's going on, so I'm yeah. not going to give them yeah. that pass. Maybe That's some true. other, maybe some other county. The judge is just a little bit more delusional, yeah. you yeah. know. But yeah, not, right. a, not, right. not what Reverend Ralph and I have dealt with. But yeah, yeah. And also, 
Michigan is just yes. horrendous. I was talking to a senator from there, and she had actually gone through it. Some, some of this, she had encountered this system. And her story was just, I mean, it was so bad. Michigan is so bad. It's almost terrifying to come up against it because they're all in on. I mean, there's a group of them that are just yeah. uh, forgotten whether they're judges or guardians. I think they're both. And uh, it's a team, and they're really, it's really bad there. And so there are, you're right, there are places. I think New Mexico was one of those places. But it really got Florida seems uh, to be bad. Huh? Florida seems to be a yeah. bad place because there's oh, like a Venus flytrap yeah. lures everyone yeah. in. Yeah. It, it seems yeah. like That's from nice. what I've heard, pretty much Florida, Pennsylvania, and Michigan are the top three offender states. I, I think after the whole April Parks thing in Nevada, have you been hearing that much going on in Nevada or did no, they kind of clean it up? I think they've cleaned it up as far as I know. New Mexico is cleaned up, but still... There are, it still happens, though. It still happens. There's still cases every now and then. I mean, now what do you, I think what do you, Rio Hamilton's case, I think Rio Hamilton's, uh, Doris Hamilton's case in Las Cruces happened after all the reforms. I think she was put, we had all these reforms in 2017, right? Where it just mm-hmm. got a little better. It wasn't, it's better, it gets better and better, but still not, you know, perfect at all. Um, this is that sorry. case happened after the reforms. So, you know, there's going to be lag time before. And, you know, there's still the, the, it's the keeping track of all the cases, keeping track of the people. Where are they? What's happening to them? Are they okay? Uh, there's none of that, you know? And, you're, you, you, and that's pretty scary. That's really scary. This and, is Reverend um, Ralph. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean that's to interrupt right. you. I don't. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to touch also on the fact that uh, there are so many culprits in this. Another one is the news media. If you looked at the news media, it's the standard format from beginning to end of the show, whether it's local or national. A car accident, somebody getting shot, uh, somebody, you know, the sports, the weather, and then it's the end of the show. And I've contacted so many reporters, both in Philadelphia, uh, the TV and the print, and also statewide. They don't give a damn. To them, it's like, well, you know, we'd rather talk about a car accident. We'd rather talk about somebody getting shot. I mean, this is what you see in the news all the time, another person getting shot or a car crash or whatever. The news media has a responsibility. That's why they're in the First Amendment. Protection by the Constitution, First Amendment, freedom of the press. If all they're going to talk about is car accidents and houses on fire, then why should they have that protection? And they know about these things, but it just, again, they're like the criminals themselves. They just don't care. Their bosses don't care, so why should they? Well, and also, obviously, mainstream media, we know that it's been co-opted by, you know, the pharma industry and all the, you know, they're censored now. They don't, they don't, and also they're censoring other people. If you look online now for, say, Robert Kennedy Jr., who I happen to like a lot, I'm not sure, you know, I I understand where he's coming from. Um, 
and I really respect him. But if you look on mainstream media, he may have 20% of the poll on the poll. But he's still, if you get a mainstream media, he's a Hello? Uh, yeah. Did, did we, we lose oh, the cause? I, I, I think we might have lost Marsha a little bit. Well, one thing is, is when media stories come out, changes happen. If you think about what happened in Nevada, it was all over the media. It was the Action I team, and they started doing all these different stories on April Parks, and they took the risk, and they did the stories. And then once the media exposes it, it's like, you know, they, the media exposes it, then the regular person starts to go, this is not okay, because this is a bipartisan issue. Whether you're Republican, a Democrat, or Independent, this is disgusting. And so oh, everyone, yeah, when you hear about this, everyone's disgusted. The only person not disgusted by something is somebody who's profiting off of it. But, you know, if you look at in uh, Florida, you have the Action I team, and they went after Rebecca Furley. So you're starting to see, you know, she was arrested. She had a felony. We have in New Mexico, we have Diane Diamond, and she wrote yeah, that big expose in and that and that made a difference. And now you've got in Michigan, um, Gretchen Gretchen Hammond wrote that one that one piece yeah. that really brought a lot of people together. But we haven't really had the movement in Pennsylvania. We had I mean, we just had Angela Columbus and let's think let's hope that ball keeps going. But there's a woman with the Reading Eagle and her name was Nicole Brambilla and she's the one who broke the Gloria Byers story. And she started oh, posting wow. that in the Reading Eagle. And she started doing the seminars and the webinars and the private Facebook groups and Facebook live meetings and everything, just like mm-hmm. what we're seeing right now. And I found her years later and I said, you know, what happened? And she said the newspapers were selling, everything was going good, and the higher ups just shut it right down. And That's she no right. longer there works for them. Why yeah, did they shut it go. down? And I'm really worried that they're going to try and shut um, Angela down. But why are they shutting this topic down? And Nicole, when, when I talked to her, she's, she'd love to write these articles, but they won't publish them. It's like the yeah, advertisers yeah. and the money people, right. they control they usually, what goes on. Usually it's the, you know, it's the advertisers or some lobby is going on behind, you know, somebody's saying, don't write this story. Don't do this story. Mm-hmm. You're going to upset X, Y, and Z. So and so. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I mean, and you know that happens on mainstream media, you know. So, uh, mm-hmm. like RFK Jr., he, uh, uh, the head of, what was it, Fox News, he used to be able to go on Fox News. He's a Democrat, but they'd still let him on. He talked about environmental um, you know, he cleaned up the Hudson River, which is amazing. What a task. And, and mm-hmm. then all these rivers around the world. But, but you know, the head of Fox said, said yeah, come on, on and talk about, uh, you know, he's going to talk about his stuff, the vaccines. and Well, it's not so much vaccines as the process that is not gone through to, to make them, uh, uh, you know, uh, for sure safe. They're really, you know, there's just not the standards there that that we should have. 
And so, especially if it's a military thing, the way this was. Um, so, you know, the, the, so he, he said, Bobby, yeah, come on the show. And then he had to call him back and say, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't have you on the show because our advertiser is Pfizer. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So he, he couldn't go uh-huh. on and talk about corruption. So a lot of it is done through, you know, contributions and money. It's the money part that really complicates mm-hmm. everything. So yeah. is, uh, Every, everyone has their price. Everyone's for sale. They have their price. It's yep. just, yeah, this is oh, it's awful. Yeah. This is Ralph again. Um, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of it. Again, money is always the underlying factor in people's jobs. I mean, if they have a house, they have yeah. a family, they, they'll, they're saying to themselves, no, it's not right, but uh, if I say this, uh, my boss will fire me or the yeah. publisher will fire right. me or whatever. Yeah. But one of the things, again, people have power and they don't realize it. One yeah. of the things I have done is picketing made up these four-foot square picket signs with uh, Judge Weilheimer's name on it and a a little message. And, again, uh, it's on Facebook, and I have people that would stop me and take my picture and post it and so forth, and they'd say, oh, what's this about? So if people – and, again, you don't need a permit to walk up and down the sidewalk. That's freedom of speech. Every police department has told me that. So you don't need a permit. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't obstruct people you can't get in their faces you just walk up and down with a picket sign around your neck and this is something people have power and they're not exercising it and if people don't do something if people don't go to their uh, uh, board of commissioners or whatever or their state senators or if they don't do it then who else do they have to blame but themselves and again it's usually where they find themselves in this situation and they say and i love this Somebody ought to do something. I love it when people say that. And I look at them and go, well, why don't you do it, you know? They want everybody else to take care of them, but they don't want to do it on their own. Yeah. You know, I can't believe how many people, and you probably have dealt with this too, Marcia, they'll find out that we're, you know, related to NASCA. I've had people say to me, you know, I should – fly out for their hearing or I should, you know, give them money or I should file the paperwork for them. And and the thing is, is, is I, 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 I can't do all that for you. I can tell you where to go. I can give you examples of the stuff that I've done, but I can't personally do the work for you. And I think people need to really realize, like you hit that on the head, Reverend Ralph, you need to do the work yourself. No one else That's is making cool. the signs for Reverend mm-hmm. Ralph. He's doing it. And everyone, you need to advocate for yourself and stand up for yourself and quit expecting everybody else to do it for you. I mean, even the complaints. I have people, it's like pulling teeth. I'm like saying, can you call this senator? Can you file this complaint? You know, hey, someone's paying attention. Get a hold of this reporter. Half the people that I talk to will not do it. A, some think that they're going to be retaliated, which is a really sad a sad state of yeah. affair in the United yeah. States that people will not report yeah. a crime because they don't trust law enforcement, FBI, things like that. Yeah. The other thing is they feel it doesn't matter. It's not gonna. It's not gonna do anything. Why waste their time? And it's really, you know, I find it especially offensive to Reverend Ralph, who is trying to free his very special loved one. And for me, not to make these yeah. phone calls, 
when when this could make a difference for his loved one, yeah. it's shameful. Yep. You should always make yeah, those I phone agree. calls, even if you think it doesn't matter. You're leaving a paper trail. Yeah. But you know what? We only have we only have ten minutes left, and we promised that we were going to announce the 2023 Whistleblower Summit panel. Now, oh. this is um, yes, this is in conjunction with TS Radio. We will be going in. Uh, Marty Oakley's place, and it is something that Marty Oakley had told me if anything ever happened to her. And I used to say, I'm going to try not to cry. I used to say, Marty, it's like mm-hmm. 20 years away, but okay, you can tell me. And Marty always told me what she wanted me to do and how she wanted me to continue her mission and her goals. And I, and I would listen, but I really, honest to God, I did not think it was coming like like yeah. coming. I mean, you say, yeah. Marty, okay, but in 20 years, I'll take over. But let's talk yeah. about it. But anyway, we are so honored to announce that we have been accepted as a panel in the 2023 Whistleblower Summit. We know that other groups tried to knock Marty's panel out, but I stood firm. And I want to thank everyone who agreed to um, come along. And Marsha, you are one of them. Thank you so yeah. much. How many years have you done the panel now? Uh, let's see. Well, I three years, but the first year um, I was going to talk, and I, I, I asked Gretchen to do it because she had just done this, you know, she'd done oh. her big study, and yeah. I said, why don't you do it? I think I met you at that, that one. That was 2000. Yeah, and, and Gretchen knocked it out of the ballpark. I was bawling just listening to her what tell the story. And she, she was, was amazing. Great. I was, she, like the emotion. Yeah. Yeah. She was so, so I'll she's been on the show several times. Yeah. But I guess I've been doing it twice oh. then. So I'm excited to get back to get back yeah. to it. Are we gonna have a are we going to have a theme Wait. or is it what are we gonna do? Um there is a oh shoot, there's a theme and I have to come up with a name and now I can't even remember. Oh my gosh. I oh my gosh. Okay, Marcel's gonna kill me. Um there is a theme <laughs> and I will tell you what that theme is. Um it's in my emails. But anyway. Okay. Of course, we're, we're always, our theme is guardianship. But also, we have Chris Dallas from Australia. Marcel Wonderful. had said, Kaz, she said, do you have a connection with Chris? And you want to know why I have a connection with Chris? Because of Marty Oakley. So Marty oh, Oakley yeah. introduced me to Chris of ASCA. And, I, and at, they've, they've re-upped, and they're supporting this radio show. And they're coming on next week. They were going to come on this week. But I don't know oh, if everyone great. knows. The United Nations has done sanctions against Australia and has um, accused them of crimes against humanity. And so there's a lot brewing in Australia. And Chris asked if we could do one more week because there's just so much that she wants to report on. And everyone in Australia really appreciates and it was really important to them that this show continued in Marty's name. And I just... So that's why I know Chris. So when Marcel says, is there any way that you can get this Chris from Australia? Do you know her? And I said, I do, I do know Chris. In fact, Chris was in that inner circle as well as you two when we had found out that Marty Oakley had passed away. We had to let as many people know before it went out yeah. on Facebook. And, and yeah. Chris was one of those calls. And you know, there's like, 17 hours difference or something. So I can, I never know what time it is I'm calling her. And so I'm like, I don't know what time it is there, but I'm calling Chris right now. Luckily it was like a good time, but, 
So Chris is coming back. And the third panelist, and I am so excited to announce the third panelist that will be joining us on the 2023 Whistleblower Summit for the first time ever, we will have Dr. Tina Payone. Tina Payone, of course, was recently featured on the webinar yesterday, and she was the only victim advocate speaker for the for the Senate hearing that happened in March, and she comes from oh, Montgomery wow. County, Pennsylvania. I'm just going to mm-hmm. be a moderator, but the fact that half the panel comes and hails from Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and Reverend Ralph, we need to get you geared up to do this next year. I know you have a lot on your plate. We talked about it, and Reverend Ralph will hopefully join us next year because of what he has discovered with these fake psychiatrist uh, evaluations, because that definitely needs to be talked about. But I'm just so excited that Tina is also going to be joining us. She is just lovely. It was so lovely to see her yesterday on on that webinar. And that webinar, if I do understand, that they were going to tape record it. I haven't searched for the link, but I haven't searched. I'm sure it's there. And they also were trying to fundraise. So if anyone can donate to Spotlight PA, it's a very small um, newspaper organization. I did see, Reverend Ralph, that you donated because they were, like, thanking their donating. You and Jenny donated. So thank you for supporting that. And I need to get on there and get my donation in because we do need to support these grassroots newspapers that are exposing this. And some of their articles, including the one that Angela wrote, was picked up at the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is a Big, Reverend Ralph, that's like a big one in Pennsylvania, isn't it? The Philadelphia Inquirer. It's basically the only one left. Uh, a couple of them have, uh, you know, gone by the wayside. But uh, you spoke about the Philadelphia Inquirer. Uh, this has been mentioned, and I have yet to be able to confirm it. But uh, according to reliable people, uh, the husband of Gail Weilheimer is a lawyer. And he is vice president and legal counsel for the Philadelphia Inquirer, which, to my knowledge, there has never been an article about uh, guardianship corruption in that newspaper. Uh, so right. I had sent an email to the legal assistant to Judge Weilheimer just last week, and I asked specifically, is her husband Larry Weilheimer, and is he the legal counsel and vice president of Philadelphia Inquirer? And a week later, I have still not gotten a response. So, so again, I actually you have to can pull, con- yeah. yeah. So go ahead. I actually can confirm that because I did Google that, and if you go and look up the board of directors, you will see the list, and his name is listed on there. I did see it. So well, can that be your brother? Look up. Um, could that be it could brother? be the yeah. It is the last name is there. It's the it's the like a vice president and the legal representation. I can't remember the net. I do remember seeing the name Walheimer. So just Google board of directors for the Philadelphia Inquirer, and that's where I saw the names. To take do a quick little Google search and see and get that confirmed. But you know what? Kudos to them for running the article. Whether he's, you know, sitting on there or not, it just goes to show that he's not the end-all, be-all of, you know, power. And Angela got this article through, and she's, she's just powerhousing there in Pennsylvania. We are so grateful to have met her and to have her have written that article. And she did a real article because it was the Rafa case that was finally went to the state Supreme Court of Pennsylvania and the state Supreme Court said that indeed a civil lawsuit for racketeering 
is going to be heard in Pennsylvania, and I'm not sure is when that date is coming up. It's coming up soon, isn't it, Reverend Ralph? I'm not sure about that. I'm sure they'll I, I push it off know. and push it off. Yeah, What's I'm sure they'll also, you know that's the games. Very briefly, because I know we're down to the minute, uh, very briefly, uh, a uh, president judge, the president judge of Montgomery County, uh, Carolyn Turnetta Coluccio, Coluccio, C-O-L-L-U-C-I-O. She is running for state Supreme Court. Uh, there's a vacancy uh-huh. there. So I don't know. Again, uh, I have, uh, my ex-lawyer had asked her last year to ask Judge Weilheimer to recuse herself because of the obvious biasness she had in my case, and uh, Coluccio refused to ask uh, Weilheimer. So, you know, that's very interesting. Do we... Uh, do we want somebody like that on the state Supreme Court? Well, the, no, we don't. But you want to know what? Are we excited that the form wasn't he like in a former kind of DA for Montgomery County, that Shapiro guy, and now he's the governor? Like, That's exactly right. Should we be excited about some, that? I got some yeah. dirt on him too, which we'll talk about. Yeah, the next Fox week. is guarding. <laughs> Yeah, the yes. fox is guarding the hen house. But, you know, we're just down to 90 seconds. I want to thank everybody for coming on again. Next week we do have Australia, and we even have guests booked into the following weeks after. So I am very, very thankful for all the support that everyone has given to us and to continue to support Marty's vision and dreams and hope that we would continue exposing all these things. Marcia, thank you so much for taking out of you your bet. time with us this evening. Thank you. We appreciate everything you do. Reverend Ralph, you are my right-hand man. I appreciate you so much, and thank you. Thank, thank you. you. We had a full board, and not one person hung up on us. <laughs> thank you. I can see all the phone numbers. I really appreciate it. Everyone, have a great and safe weekend. Good night. Good night. Good night.